All right, good morning. Hey, I'm Cameron. I'm the lead pastor here at Christ Community Church. Um, I had to get some directions as to where the pulpit was after being out for a couple of months. Uh, but uh, we're going to be in Psalm. This is a standalone sermon, but it is connected to a lot of what we've talked about. It really does dovetail well with the sermon series on Jonah and actually uh, prepares the way well for our continued uh, series in the book of Revelation when we'll hit uh, chapters 19 through 22 for the season of Easter. And so Psalm 78 uh, will be our text this morning, just verses 1 through 8. It actually is a very long psalm and uh, gets into a lot of, of remembering God's goodness and the faithlessness of the northern kingdom, Ephraim in particular. And so as I read this, that is somewhat of the backdrop, is that Ephraim had uh, set up a false temple, and they had, they had set up bulls for worshiping that look a lot like the golden calf, and they had their own priesthood, and they got really sideways on this thing, trying to do it in their own strength, in their own way, instead of according to what God had called for. The one thing that Judah got right was that and that alone. They were just as messed up as the northern kingdom, but because of their, their obedience to worship itself, in the measure that they were obedient, the Lord continued with them. And so if you remember, the northern kingdom is carried off first into the exile. And so this, this psalm is a psalm that would be used to teach the coming generations of the faithfulness of God and the failings of Ephraim or the failings of the previous generation. And so as we step into the text, I'll read verses 1 through 8, and then I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll say, thanks be to God. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. This is the word of the Lord. And as we step into this, this is a, a psalm that was written by Asaph. We don't know a whole lot about him. And again, it was an, a, a psalm specifically to be used in worship for instruction as to the goodness and faithfulness of God and then the failings of man. Now, that, that becomes an important thing for us to, a pattern for us to recognize because uh, our sins are not hidden from the previous generations, Right? And, and how do the generations, what do they think of us when we try to hide our sins or act as if we've done nothing wrong? Well, they don't trust us because they know all too well how we've lived and the things that we've done, oftentimes in our own homes, and then even as a church, right? We may say, well, I, I didn't participate in any of that stuff. It doesn't matter if we participated directly or not. We should care about the things of reconciliation, which is the heart of God. We should also be quick to make sure that they know of the testimony of God's goodness in specificity. Too often, I think we keep that general and we're not as, as versed in being able to say, this is how God has been good to our family. This is how God has been good to our church. This is how God has been good to our area, our people, our uh, country, our world, ways in which we can point to things with the eyes and the ears to hear in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have to train them up to do the same. Why? Well, because our theology teaches us that everybody's fallen. Nobody can see it clear, and this just doesn't come natural to us. Gratitude is not second nature in us, is it? How many of you, you can spot what's wrong within a gnat's eyelash, right? I mean, you, you, it's, it's just a, a real gift. You're, you're, 
You're way the critic and not necessarily the one who can bring the solution. You're long on diagnosis and maybe short on cure. Even more important, you're long on diagnosis and shortest on gratitude. The ability to say there's at least something in this, right? Something of value. And that's what we want to be able to help pass on to the next generation. Not not putting on rose-colored glasses. Not being silly with this. It's incredibly important that it be genuine and real and substantive, right? That it's it's got some real incarnational value to it. But part of the problem is we're not actually involved enough in the kingdom ourselves to give them a whole lot. Or we're involved, but we're failing to see all the various ways in which we are involved. We tend to long for something far more miraculous than just the everyday grind of being a disciple. The everyday grind of loving one another, our neighbors and our friends well, right? And so um, we want to make sure that we've got something to pass on. So the key truth that I want you to get from this sermon this morning is that we are to help the coming generations cultivate their sacred memory of the glorious deeds of the Lord and also to cultivate future hope in God's faithfulness. Now, the question I have for you is how have uh, uh, saints from previous generations helped you to cultivate your sacred memory Uh, of the glorious deeds of the Lord, and future hope of God's faithfulness. Now let me pause here for a second and give you the the two parts of what we're talking about when we use the term generation. There's the easy one that is young and old, right? That is the next generation of children coming up that that very much matters, and we want to make sure we're aware of of that for sure. But don't also miss uh, young and old in terms of the faith. Right? That sometimes, uh, if you come to faith later in life, you're the next generation of saint, and you're going to need to have this cult. Just because you're older doesn't mean you have all that in place. And so there's a sense in which age gets thrown a little bit out the window or out the window in total when it comes to those things. Right? You can have someone younger than you actually disciple you and build you up and encourage you. So make sure you're thinking about it in both terms. Now, for me, some of the saints uh, from a previous generation who've helped me to cultivate a sacred memory, um, wow, uh, one in particular was a man named John King. I've told you about him before. He's paralyzed from the neck down. I worked for John off and on for about 10 years, and, and, and so one of the ways in which he helped me to see how good God is is that a man with no ability to move other than to turn his head slightly to the right and to the left who had to be kept alive with a respirator and the care of other people for all of his bodily functions, and that if we compromised or skimmed in any way, shape, or form, he would die. That that man could have joy. That he could say, the Lord gives and the Lord has taken away. I, at that time, was at the height of my uh, postmodern uh, depressed brokenness. I was suicidal, but I just didn't have the courage to do it. I was too weak. Uh, and I was also, I saw everything as black, even though I, uh, or darkness, I saw no light, I saw no reason to live whatsoever, other than I began to work for this man, John King, who was dependent on me, and little did I know how truly dependent I was on him. That working for him was a preservative that I just I, I, I only came to know later uh, after I became a believer and the Lord was gracious enough to let me go back and work and see how he had preserved me through so many Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights. Even if it was being tortured by the Golden Girls and in the heat of the night. And so I have a t-shirt that, with the Golden Girls and it says Squad Goals. I wear it proudly. Uh, and, so, uh, and so the Lord was gracious to say to this young man who thought life was so dark to give me an example of someone that was so beautiful, so salient, like inarguable. I watched that dude like a hawk. No, he had to break at some point psychologically. He didn't. He never did. And that example was so beautiful. And, man, that family loved me. They just loved me. Uh, and, and put up with a whole bunch of junk out of me that no one should have to put up with out of somebody uh, that's grown. 
And, and so what a, what a beautiful example that he gave just in and of his person. I don't know that John ever said much about the Bible. I, don't, I didn't learn anything about any specific chapter and verse per se because we didn't do Bible studies, but I learned a ton about what it means to be an image bearer from him. There was also a lady that worked, uh, I worked with named Gwen, um, who, and I've told you about her before, who just, she just loved me. Uh, and I, can't, I don't know why. Uh, I, at the time, I would come in hungover to work and just mean. I was mean as a walleye. You think I'm anywhere close to mean now? You don't even know. I, I was mean as a walleye rattlesnake, as they say. And, and so I, I'd just be mean to her, just wanted her to leave me alone. I'm like all the rest of you. I don't want to be bothered with your ideas and what I ought to do with my life. You, why don't you just pay attention to yourself? And she'd laugh. And she'd say, boy, no, because I love you. And again, I don't know that she, she didn't break out like Calvin's Institutes and she didn't break out anything other than to say, you need Jesus. And my wife agreed because I worked with her too uh, prior to us dating and getting married. And, uh, and so, and it was, it, it, Susan is my, is, is my spiritual senior. I watched her suffer go through an immense time of suffering and do it in such a way that I just, I couldn't figure it out. And so she had a profound impact. Susan is, is I know y'all still believe this, but I don't even have to say it. She's largely responsible for anything good about me in, in some measure. But the Spirit used her as vessel, and, and, and Gwen too in that time. Lee White who was, who was a guy, as a new believer, he met with me every Tuesday at the Chick-fil-A in Stockbridge, one of the dwarf houses, and we would, just, we would just chop scripture. And I wanted what he had, and he wanted to give me what he had. And so he, and, and I saw him go through some things. Um, and he was willing to open up his home and his life. All of these people were willing to do that and welcome me in, and I am so much the richer and the better for it. Sam Larson, who was here, was one of my seminary professors. And Sam, also for the few months that he was here before they moved, um, I miss Sam, as do many of you. Uh, he took me under his wing. Uh, and Sam's just nice. I, I, it made me want to be a better person, uh, just being around him because... Uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm left to my own devices, not so hot. And so, uh, and so he, just that four months was so critical to, to me being, continuing to be a believer and growing. And Sam loved Jesus and he loved God and he loved his neighbors. And he was so smart, so smart, smartest human being I've ever been around, I think. And just so humble with it. What a gift to see somebody wield that kind of power with such humility. And all of them testified to the goodness of God, and, and none of them would have taken on themselves and, and want any credit whatsoever. And so if, if not for those people, if not for those examples, I am not here. I am not, or I am, but I am far more impoverished because of the absence of those folks. So, so there have been people who are critical to why you are here. And any number of reasons, and it's worth you taking some time this Sabbath day to think about. And maybe, maybe if they're, if they're still with us, send them a thank you note. Communicate in some way with them what they have done for you. It's a huge gift. And so, so make sure you think about that. But also, I want you to consider, and this is what the sermon is about, how will you be that for someone without making it about you? That's the trick, isn't it? Because like I said, none of these people want any of the, they don't want to be known. They don't want to be praised for all these kind of things. They're glad of the results. They're, they're fine with that, but they would not want themselves to be exalted because they're flawed just like the rest of us. And so what this psalm does is help us with a corrective in how to think about this. So let's step back into the text and look at verses 1 through 4 about the cultivation of the coming generation's sacred memory of God. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ear to the words of my mouth. So what he's saying here is, listen up, pay attention. So Robbie, one of the things that Robbie's going to be working on through the small groups is uh, something called exegetical listening. 
You've heard of exegetical preaching, I'm sure, but what about exegetical listening? That means that you are active in participating, right? There is no good, there's no such thing as a good sermon that doesn't get acted on. Good sermons ought to sometimes make you mad. I don't know if we have a rubric for that. It ought to decenter us in some ways. It ought to make you want to send me a really lengthy email sometimes. Or Robbie or Matt or Chris or Wes, whoever's preaching. And so, so it's important that we, we give the information its due. So if we're talking about God in any way, shape, or form, what is that information's due? Our full attention. We're talking, ascribe unto the Lord the glory to his name. How does the Lord's Prayer start? Hallowed be your name, O Lord. That not, and and you got to remember, name isn't just something written on a page. Name is identity. Name is who you are. And so we are ascribing to the Lord the character due him in his person and work. And so when it comes to these matters, we should do everything that we can on our part to listen. It was interesting, somebody asked me, uh, having to do what you're now doing and sit and listen, uh, how, how, how did that land on me? Well, I, when I'm not preaching, I work very hard to do this. And I don't, I don't with Robbie and Matt and, and Wes and Chris, they don't need much in the way of critique at this juncture, and so I'm not going to nitpick them unless it's just really obvious and would be helpful to them. I want to I take, take, taste and see that the Lord is good through their hands. And I was able to do that and have been able to do that for a long time now. And it's a real gift to me to not feel like I've got to be on in the way that I am on now. Right? And I can just be Abba's son. And so I understand that that's, that's, that can be a, a tough stretch. There's all kinds of things that affect us uh, and, and keep us from being able to listen. But, but he's saying, lean in, pay attention. Like I said, Robbie will be... Uh, through the small groups, and we've got some other ways that we're going to do this, talking about exegetical listening. Uh, Thabiti Anawabli wrote a book on uh, being a good member, and it's from his book, and it's an excellent resource for us. So we want to be a people who listen well. Because remember, the goal, I am utterly uninterested in telling you what to think. And you need to believe that. I am far more interested in you learning how to think biblically in a way that glorifies and honors the Lord. Because I won't always be here. And if you're yoked to me in the way I think, <laughs> I hope you can read in the dark because it's weird and it's not helpful always. And you need, because you're gifted different, the Lord has given you life experiences, and, and you, our church is only going to be the richer because you cultivate how to think biblically, and that then makes what we do broader and bigger, and the cult of personality gets deconstructed a bit. And you are able to love your neighbors and love your family and, and in your spheres of influence in ways that are completely different than when you are yoked to someone giving you the information. And so he's saying, lean in. And then he says this very interesting thing in verse 2. He says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Now, let me pause for a second. A parable is often intended to reveal and conceal. Reveal to those who are in the spirit, conceal to those who are deaf and blind or perishing. And so it's critical that what he's saying here is, though I'm going to speak in a parable, I'm going to speak of things that you should have some familiarity with. The question is, are you in the Spirit? 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16 tells us very clearly that if you're not of the Spirit, you can't really understand the things of the Spirit. That it takes, this is, this is the kind of stuff, it's not just bare knowledge. Right? And we have the example. So who knew more of the Bible at that time, the Old Testament, the Torah, than the Jews? Informationally. Could you beat them at Wild Wing Cafe at a trivia contest if it was on the Tanakh? No, nah, you ain't beating that crowd. 
If they roll in with the little curly locks, pack it up and go home. Right? And so, so you're, you're not going to beat them on information. But what was the problem? What they were doing with the information. They refused to see Christ as sufficient Savior because what they were longing for was an earthly kingdom, not a kingdom born of heaven. What they longed for was a kingdom in which they would have power, not a kingdom in which they would be martyred. They wanted a kingdom that had a king with a sword in his fist that would make recompense for all the wrongs that had been done to them. And listen, we can't be mad at them. They've suffered immensely. They had no rubric for a Psalm 23 shepherd, a Psalm 22 king who would die on a cross, a Psalm 16 savior. They had no rubric for a Genesis 3 type of Lord. What they had uh, instead was information that was not transformative for the most part. And so it's critical that we recognize that you cannot, this is why you've got to lean in, you've got to use the means of grace to help you receive the information. One of the mistakes that we make, I think, and I battle this all the time, is, yeah, 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 I've heard all that before. I've heard it all before. Okay, good, but what are you doing with it? Because if you're not doing anything with it, you really didn't hear it. You have not heard it. You don't know it in the truest sense of the word. And so, and sometimes we have to read it again. So I'm, I'm reading back through the Bible. This is not a, I'm not virtue signaling here. Uh, but uh, I'm reading back through the Bible in a year, and I'm currently up to date with the leap day yesterday. I could have even gotten ahead, but I didn't want to be arrogant. And so, uh, and so um, uh, there's, there was a, a, there's a, at the end of Acts, there's this passage, and so I, I'm just like you. There's, there's stories I read in the Bible, and I'm like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't ever want to try to preach this. Uh, Exodus chapter 4, the weird story where God tries to kill Moses, and Zipporah saves him through this really weird thing involving a foreskin. And so uh, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't know how to, like, wh what's the application on that? Uh, and so interestingly, I was wrestling with that, and as I should, right? Uh, should not arrogantly, oh, yeah, next week, standalone sermon, you guys get ready. No, um, I was wrestling with it, and I didn't know, I, honestly, I didn't know how to preach it. If I, were, if I were called on to preach that, if we had preaching roulette wheel and it landed on that, um, I, I've, I feel like I'd be in trouble. And you may be thinking, well, why don't we get somebody better qualified? Yeah. And so, uh, and so, uh, at the end of Acts, uh, chapter 28, it says that, that, that and, and I've read this before, I know this, Paul, it says Paul was inviting people into his home where he taught on the kingdom of God and Jesus. And it dawned on me, that's how you would preach that text. Because that text is not about an, an, a specific application that wives must do for their husbands when God's trying to kill them. It is about the Lord preserving a kingdom through a, an African Gentile woman. Now, why does that matter to us in our culture? And why does that matter to the Bible? Because it does say every tongue, tribe, and nation. You do know Zippor was a Cushite. That's not a Jew. It's an African from the Nile, from the, from the deeper, more darkly complected aspect of the Nile. And so here we have this wonderful story of the Abraham covenant coming true, in part. And the kingdom of God continues on. And it shows that Moses, left to his own devices, would just go out and get himself killed. Which is what this text is actually telling us. That God is good in preserving his kingdom despite the failings of man to get it. And so what a, what a gift that the Spirit is just as much at work in the things that I am reading and the things that you are reading, that the Spirit gives us wisdom and insight, and He's active. What a gift. But it is required for us to understand things in the way that God would want us to. We need the Spirit. And if you run on something you don't know, now, when I ran across that Exodus passage, I did pray. I did. I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, 
First off, I'm not preaching through Exodus anytime soon. Second off, what would I do here? It's your word. It means something. I can't see it. And like I said, that may shake your confidence in me. Good. It, ought to, it should have been shook long ago. Your confidence ought to be in the ability of the Lord to speak through even a donkey. The one present as well. And so after he tells him, look, this is going to require the Spirit. So this isn't just a knowledge issue that we're wrestling through here, church. This is, this is spiritual stuff. This is things that mean something. And he says, these are the things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. So at least the previous generation got that right. There's one place where they were clearly faithful. They passed on the stories of old, and so must we. They had helped, at minimum, cultivate a sacred memory, some tent pegs for them to to be able to see how does the Lord work in bringing his kingdom to pass? How does the Lord work in terms of bringing a Savior? What kind of Savior would it be? And it says that we will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. So it's critical that we be articulate in not just the stories of the Bible, although that's incredibly important. We're going to see when we get to Revelation that the Exodus story is critical to our understanding of what's happening in Exodus. I mean, uh, Revelation. How powerful it is, and you've read this, I'm sure, in Revelation 21, and the sea was no more. Why does that matter? Some think it has to do with the sea represents chaos, and that's, yeah, that's not a bad thing, and that means that sin will be no more in the new, new heavens and earth, but what that means is there will be no more bodies of water to cross from exile to exodus. You are home. The sea is no more. And so what a gift to us that we have these stories to be able to understand. We've said this before. You can't understand Revelation without the Old Testament. You can't. And the Exodus story is abjectly critical to that that process. Our children need to know the Exodus story. But they also need to know the individual stories. And spoiler alert, we do have a Sunday school class coming up starting next week on how to share your story. But our children need to know our stories from exile to Exodus to redemption, right? They need to know the things we've done now. There's age appropriate, there's seasons for that, but you need to have it somewhere in the hopper that you will do that. And if you're thinking, yeah, I don't want my kids to know some things because they'll want to run out and do it too, okay? Do you understand how sin works? Like, you're not introducing these ideas. What you want to introduce is redemption, the story of reconciliation. You want to introduce a faithful God who will hold them even when they have passed through the valley of the shadow. You want them to know that there is a love that is deeper than all of their brokenness and mistakes. You want them to know that they will not be defined by their worst day. Yes, I just plagiarized Brian Stevenson from Just Mercy. I didn't plagiarize since I cited it, so I guess I'm off the hook there. But what a beautiful thing to give to our children who are so, in a sense, it's not new. We've been doing this since east of Eden. They're they're convulsing in their own skin, wondering if they matter, wondering what their identity really is, wondering if there will be anything left after the coronavirus, wondering if the environment's going to make it, or is Greta Thunberg right, wondering if there's any saving this world that we're going to dump on them. And wondering if it's even worth saving. And so we have to help them with that narrative. We have to help them cultivate, like I said, that sacred memory, an understanding of the goodness of God. Let me share a couple things with you that I think think we sometimes forget uh, here at Christ Community Church. Um, There have been a number of people who have faithfully ensured and made sure that this church would have what it needed even through the vacillating seasons that she's been through. If you're new with us, this church is 16, 17 years old, 2001, according to the encyclopedia over here. So that makes us 19 years old, quick math. Um, I was able to keep my shoes on this great. Uh, And so 19 years old, it's been through some stuff. 
We bought land uh, right around the economic downturn, not because they knew the economic downturn was coming, thought it'd be fun to just saddle themselves with incredible debt, but didn't see it come, had prayed about it. It was not, again, it, it wasn't just a casual thing. Uh, you don't get anybody to agree on everything, but, but they bought it, and then the economic downturn hit, and a series of things put this church on life support in a number of ways. The elders had to make the hard decision to pay interest only, which, how fun is that? They had to make a hard decision. They slashed the budget in half, but their wise decision-making, their willingness to kind of hang in, your willingness to continue to give when it looked like the ship was sinking, kept this church afloat. And then uh, they made an interesting decision in hiring me, uh, handed me that skeletonized budget, and the idea that the land had been sold, which is the only reason I was willing to take this job. I didn't want to be saddled with land debt. It, they didn't lie. It just it, the, the thing died the week we got here at the 11th hour and the 59th minute. I told Susan, I said, <clears throat> you unpack those boxes. Yeah. Now, we didn't do anything, really, as far as land was concerned. Now, this is only five years ago. So when I get here, the land debt was somewhere in the $750,000 range. It's a lot of money. And our, like I said, our, our skeletonized budget, a bunch of part-time people, uh, it was just, it was a tough season. And, and so uh, the Lord has been incredibly gracious to pay off that entire $750,000 in four years with no capital campaign. We did a soft one about a year or so ago, and it was, it was so poorly like, it, there was no excitement. We didn't have a thermometer. We didn't do anything, right? <laughs> we, we <laughs> but the Lord was insanely faithful and paid it off sooner than we had hoped. We were able to get it taken care of. Now, that's important for you to remember because we could be going, wait a minute, we don't have a permanent facility yet. This is a fail. No, no, no. No. The Lord has been good, and he's been good through ordinary means. And this is what I think is important in how you tell the story. How many times does the Lord in the Bible do just amazing, miraculous things? Is that, that the majority of what he does is like whiz-bang, like always doing awesome stuff and bringing people in? No, actually the vast majority of it, which is why you struggle with reading through the Bible in a year, it's just kind of quotidian stuff. Numbers, where's the miracle in that? Uh, first and second Kings, very few miracles, Judges. Uh, most, much of the New Testament doesn't contain vast stretches of miracles. It contains vast stretches of the church just doing what it does week in and week out, Sabbath to Sabbath. And so it's important for you to recognize that, yes, the Lord can do miraculous things. However, his preferred means is ordinary. And you are the hands and feet of the body of Christ, and you are the preferred means. And so that's why it's critical for us to continue to see the necessity to participate so we have something to tell our children. If we don't, the stones will crowd. The Lord is going to make sure they know some way, somehow. But better it be that we get to participate in and bear the fruit of, which you did. Like I said, it's, it's an amazing thing. The land didn't get paid off because one donor came in that was anonymous and dropped a, a bag of cash in our laps. It was a combination of uh, <laughs> um, money that came in through failed land sales, uh, which was, we didn't do anything nefarious, it just, we kept being a bridesmaid and not a bride, you know? I mean, it's just kind of how the thing went. And so we wound up with a bunch of cool dresses. Uh, and so, um, and, and yes, there was some help at the very end from an outside donor, but again, the majority of it just came from, y'all were generous and we, and, and one of the wise moves of the session is we, we went from interest only to paying more than was owed, and that in and of itself chopped down a whole bunch of it, and that came from your and mine, our generous hands. But the Lord gave us that to give back, and so the Lord was in it. It was the Lord's work, His faithfulness, but we got to participate in it. Now think about Sam Larson. And what a gift he was to this church in the season in which uh, Mike had stepped down. And again, Mike, 
Mike should be commended for how he stepped down. He did not leave this thing scorched earth. In fact, I don't take this job if he, I'm not picking up that, I'm not coming in and dealing with that mess. I am not that altruistic. And so Mike did an amazing job in how he left. He met with me very early on, was so gracious to me uh, and so protective of, of those of you who knew him uh, and gave me great wisdom. And he deserves some mention here as well. But, but, but you know, Sam Larson stepped in to fill in that year. You don't have somebody more capable than Sam. I know some of you are like, yeah, there were some sermons. I don't, I don't even know if he was speaking English. I, it was over my head, but that's good for you. You need sometimes to feel like you don't understand things. Helps you remember who and whose you really are. And so Sam was a great gift. I think about the, the faithfulness of, of, of people like Zach Carden, who um, many of you may not know his name, but he was the children's minister and helped with youth and, and, and so cared about it that we're still continuing to benefit from his legacy. And then Whitney Byerly, who's still with us, uh, she stepped in and, and did an amazing job with, 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 with the things that she had. I don't know that there's, there's a more apt classroom technician than Whitney Byerly. What a gift she was to our church. And now Bonnie has stepped into that role. And, and you may not know this, uh, uh, but she is taking a year-long course through um, Discipleship Ministries, which is a PCA thing. It's all about children's ministry. We've met twice, and we are overrun with good ideas. And she's taken it so seriously and wanting to invest so much. What a gift that we have someone who cares that much. And she's busy. And by the way, too, she's fruit from Mike's ministry. She becomes a believer under Mike Glass's ministry here. We have Bonnie in the form that we now know her because of his faithfulness and God's God's faithfulness. And what a gift she has been to us. And then, and then those of you who volunteer, we, we, we don't have more than we need, but we have about what we need, which is so much better than what I hear from so many churches that are running on a huge deficit. And it's a huge headache all the time. Now, there's some things that we could probably think more through, and we're, we're talking about that, some training that we want to make sure that, that we have for everybody who teaches. Um, we're trying to move from, from reactive to proactive, but children's ministry is the hardest one to do that with because you just feel like you're running around with your hair on fire, right? But people are faithfully and have, have made sure that the, the kids who have been entrusted to us at Christ Community Church, same with the youth group, Matt Sowers deserves mention here, um, I miss Matt. Josh and I got a chance to eat lunch with him recently. He's still crazy as he always was. Uh, he can't get a word in edgewise, but he's just lovable. And he hugged me, and I, I took it like a man. And so, uh, and so, but he was so faithful, right, in, in trying to love the kids. and the God. He wanted them to understand what it meant to be missional. And then, and then Matt comes along. The Lord brings us Matt, who will start full-time tomorrow. Uh, and, uh, and, and what a gift that he has been to our church in a part-time role, and what, I can't imagine what good he... I'm going to have to restrain him a little bit coming out of the gate because he's going to think he has all this free time. He's just going to go nuts. Not, so uh, I'll have to hamstring him every once in a while. So I've worked on some rodeo techniques I think will work out great. And so uh, what a gift he's been. We didn't go looking for him. His father-in-law entrusted him to us. And Matt was foolish enough to listen and, and come and want to stay. Do you understand that, what that means? That the guys that we've been investing in, Robbie, homegrown here, uh, he ought to know enough to run. Matt ought to know enough to run. But they don't want to run. They love you. And they love what the Lord is doing here. And they're willing to continue to participate in the work that God has given into their hand. Michael Laughlin on the music side, what a gift. He's going to lead the music for our uh, men's retreat because Josh don't want to eat the food. and uh, No, Josh will be in, in Indianapolis with his daughter. And so uh, Mike is somebody we invested in. And, and something you may not know is equipped music ministers are hard to come by. They just really are, especially in the way that we do what we do. Jody, every time I talk to him, thanks me yet again because they hired Micah from the time he was here. We're investing in Colin. Uh, Colin's in seminary, if you didn't know that, and longs to not just do music but also invest in family ministry and, and, and help the next generation of the church. And so Chris Blackman, who's been a gift to us, 
Chris has had the opportunity to preach throughout our presbytery. Um, it's just been, it's been a joy, the things that the Lord has entrusted to us and the ways in which God has been good through just ordinary means. And how many times we at the office are wondering, where's this going to come from? When Micah left, one of the things that a music intern does is it helps Josh do what he's doing right now, just sit there and take it. Uh, and so, um, and so he, and, but with his family, and so that's a good thing. And so he, we were wondering when Michael left, we're like, where do you find another one of these? And so along comes Colin, who we'd actually tried to hire first, but, uh, but went a different direction for a season, which I think was good for him. That's the Lord's, that's his story. The Lord was gracious. And so let's recognize that in the, in the, and I'm not just talking about the last five years since I've been here, because me arriving didn't necessarily make anything a whole lot better in and of itself. You've got to show up, you've got to do, you've got to give. We have to do this thing together. It's not just me. But there were a lot of faithful people even before that that we need not forget that have made sure that the gospel would be heard in this lovely location for years. And what a gift from the Lord that we have a place to meet. Do you know that and we, may, we need to cut this out of the recording in case they find out, but they've never raised our rent. I talk to people all the time that are meeting in same situations, paying four, five, six, seven, eight times what we're paying. And, they're, and they actually have been gracious to us as of late. And so we need to make sure that we not, while we want out of here, <laughs> we want off of this parquet floor and away from this lovely curtainage, uh, we, we want something that we can use as a missional outpost for the good of the generations, for the good of the community. We desperately do. But let's not forget, we get to be here. These chairs, y'all ever shown up and the chairs weren't set up? No. Somebody does that faithfully, a lot of somebodies, week in and week out, and it is not fun, Always. Sometimes they come in here and this place is a disaster. It's part of the rental agreement. And so they faithfully show up to make sure you've got somewhere to sit, comfortable or no, uh, and, uh, and, and make sure it all gets torn down afterward. And it's a lot of work. And yet, and yet they continue to do so faithfully because we get to. And so we need to be able to cultivate the sacred memories of our children even through what the Lord is doing in his church. And so we need to make sure we're telling those stories as well. The Lord has also brought a number of just folks along the way that have jumped in and immediately help out. And I won't name them because I don't want to embarrass them, but there's a bunch of you who've just come in and been a breath of fresh air to the rest of us, and it's an amazing gift to see you use your gifts and to maybe spell some others so they can take a break for a season. So thank you to all of you who have given and have participated and have loved and have been generous and have worked through reconciliation issues and have invited us into your homes and lives as well as others. Thank you for loving not just the present generation, but the generations that are coming. Uh, may the Lord continue to bear fruit in and through us for his glory, amen. That's not the end of the sermon, though. Don't get excited. <laughs> I do think this quote, it's long. Bear with me. It's from Alexander McLaren. Here's what I want to encourage you to do, because there's no way me reading it, giving you a little bit of information, is going to get it for you. Make sure you keep your bulletin. Go back and meditate on this rascal sometime today and maybe in the week ahead. It is a fantastic quote. Hear what he says. Now, I suppose that there are very few of the faculties of our nature which, are more seldom, which we more seldom try to regulate by Christian principles than that great power which we have of looking backwards. Let me tell you what he just said. Rarely do we think that memory ought be governed by the gospel. Rarely do we think about how memory ought to be first and foremost, run through the grid of God's faithfulness and not our failings. And I'm numbered among you. I, am, I go over and over and over things from when I was 16, 17, 18, 22, 25, 20. I got a lot to work with, by the way. Things I've done wrong. Sometimes I'll lie awake at night just, just, just churning on it. And there's nothing I can do about it. 
this has been deeply convicting because never do I apply the gospel to my memory. Not so far. He goes on to say, did you ever reflect that you are responsible for what you remember? Because you don't remember everything, do you? You're not, very few of us have that memory. There's that one lady who was on the show, Taxi, who remembers literally everything. There's like 10 people in the world who have that capacity. Um, the redheaded lady that was on there, what was her name? Mary Lou Henner, yes. And she was on 60 Minutes, and she can remember, almost like Susan <laughs> in some ways, but she can remember if you ask her, hey, 1981, what were you wearing? Uh, this is the date. She'll pause for a second. She'll say it. Because she was on the show, they can verify it. Um, and it drives her kids nuts, by the way because they don't have the same memory, and she remembers stuff they don't. Um, and so, but, but what he's saying here is you're responsible for what you remember and for how you remember it, and that you are bound to train and educate your memory. How many of you have ever thought that? Very few of us put any memory. We almost act as if it's a passive process that comes on us, Instead of, no, you very actively are participating in and how, and it's why it affects you the way that it does. So what he's saying is, and this is in accord with what the psalmist is saying, you should cultivate sacred memory. And some of it is we, do, we just don't take the time to do it, right? We, and when, one of the reasons why we emphasize here at Christ's community on the Lord's Day Sabbath, take the time to remember God's goodness. It's a practice that we need and never ceases to be important. He's saying the same thing. He goes on to say, not merely in the sense of cultivating it as a means of carrying intellectual treasures, but for religious purpose. The one thing that all parts of our nature need is God. And that is true about our power of remembrance as it is about any other part of our being. The past is then hallowed, noble, and yields its highest results and most blessed fruits for us when we link it closely with him and see in it not only nor so much the play of our own faculties, whether we blame or approve ourselves, as rather see in it the great field in which God has brought himself near to our experience. So one of the ways in which you could do that is to ask of, of your memories, first and foremost, where were you, Lord? Not in the accusatory, but in the way in which he can reveal himself to you that, no, I was there. The Lord did that for me when, when I'd worked for John King, go away to PT school, become a believer. It was a New Year's Eve. And the person that was supposed to work that evening had called in sick. They called me and said, hey, can you come in? We don't have anybody. So I went and, 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 and did the thing, and it was a beautiful moment as I sat in the big leather chair in which I'd sat in for years, looking at the same clock. At the time, it hit three because I had medicine I had to give him around about that time. And, the, and you do with this what you want, uh, reformed folk, but the Lord spoke, not audibly, but very clearly in my soul, and he said, I have preserved you at that time all these years. And, and, it was and it began to change my memory of all those years. Because I, I then was like, wait a minute. If you were there, I didn't see you in the middle of all that. All I saw was how dark and twisted and broken I was, which is just a, a re reverse form of arrogance, right? It really is. To celebrate our sin the way in which we do, it's because we can't. We got nothing else to celebrate, so we might as well celebrate how bad we are instead of how good God is. And so, so this is something that the Lord can do for us. And so you have to ask, Lord, where were you? And another question is, and what were you doing in the midst of this? Now, sometimes you're too close. You got to get critical distance on some things. It's still a good question to ask. And it's a great question to teach our children to ask who are forming memories now, as they are cognitively developing and memory plays a different role for them as they hit certain ages than it does at earlier ages. And so we need to help them cultivate sacred memory and the ability to recognize that their memories matter because they are going to affect them, are they not? And think about what happens when you get memory wrong. Which memory, is it to be trusted in Toto? <laughs> no, absolutely not. And so, he goes on to say, 
and has been regulating and shaping all that has befallen us. That's, again, just a confession of God's sovereignty. And if he's sovereign, then your memories should also reflect that truth. Right? The one thing which will consecrate memory, deliver it from its errors and abuses, raise it to its highest and noblest power, is that it should be in touch with God. And that the past should be regarded by each of us as it is in deed and in truth, one long record of what God has done for us. Which is important given some of our present circumstances. Some of you are on the verge of failure of some kind, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your job, whether it's you, you, whatever it may be. This becomes critical to making it through that. Because you've got to have something that gives you enough runway to make it forward. Because left to our own devices, we're all weak. We've got a lot of quit in us. I am numbered among you. So I encourage you, take this quote, spend some time with it, chew on it, think about it in terms of this psalm and our responsibility to help the next generation do this. And you may be saying, yeah, but I've I never done it, so how am I supposed to help them do it? We, let's just all do it together, right? You don't have to become a master at something to help someone along with it as well. Sometimes them seeing you learn is a beautiful thing because how we learn is instructive, is it not? Having said that, though, what are some ways that you are helping the coming generations cultivate their sacred memory of the Lord's glorious deeds? If you're serving in children's ministry, thank you. Right? you. You showing up and doing that and all the ways that you do it, even if you're thinking, I don't want to deal with three-year-olds today or ever. The fact that you do and you show up and you, you've done it so well has meant so much to our children's ministry here at Christ Community Church. And, and thank you. Thank you for those of you who teach. Thank you for those of you who participate in all the ways that you do. All of us need be praying for the next generations in this regard. All of us can be asking the Lord to bear fruit in and through our children's ministry as it is our largest mission field, right? How many kids are in children's ministry, roughly? Anybody know? Like 195? No. Uh, like almost 80, I think, or, or somewhere in that price range. 70 to 80. That is a lot. Like, where, what other mission field do you have that has 70 to 80 captive audience unbelievers? Now, I'm not saying they're all unbelievers, so calm down, parents. <laughs> but there are some that have yet to profess among them. Same's true for uh, youth group, middle school, high school, all of those. So n notice the Lord has, so if we added in middle school and high school, we have about 100 or more that the Lord has said to us, train these disciples. And we got more coming, by the way. I can't tell you who, but we do. And so, no, not Susan, not us. <laughs> just to be clear, just not us. So, uh, we are going to keep our grandbaby again, but that's about as close as it gets. So, uh, so it's important that you, you recognize that the Lord has entrusted something grand to us. And again, we'll all participate based on our gifts and, and, and abilities and at different levels, but we can all pray, Right? Um, the college students, uh, again, part of the history of this church is it helped start RUF here at Kennesaw State. Wes is the second uh, campus minister, um, and that ministry has borne fruit in varying kinds over the years. Again, Michael Laughlin, Colin was part of that ministry. Uh, Lizzie, who served with us as our children's uh, ministry intern. Uh, uh, Chloe, Jordan, 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 uh, homegrown in that regard. Uh, and so, so what a gift it has been, and Wes has been, and Kelly, and all that serve have been so faithful there. And so uh, th let's not miss that either. College is a tough time. Now, it's, now you take all that identity and anxiety and all that stuff, and now it starts to really count and cost. And they're away from home. Sometimes it's, it, it, it's tough. And so it's, it's important that we be participating. In it. And when you give to RUF, you're participating in this. When you give to Faith Promise that gives to RUF, you're participating in this. When you serve in children's ministry, you're participating in this. When you volunteer in any way, shape, or form in youth group, you're participating in this. And thank you. But let's all 
be praying and, and make sure we have a regular time that we do pray that the Lord would raise up from within the mission field that we have. Not only, but for sure, uh, since it is the captive audience. But also, too, how you do this is, those of you who have children, it's how you raise them and what you tell them the truth about. And how you help them appreciate worship in the church. One of the things that mistakes that I made as I ran, I, I, so I can be pretty critical, especially back when I thought I knew it all uh, and, and thought if, you know, if I were to run it, I'd, I'd have done it different. And so my children picked up on that critical spirit that I had toward the church. And part of the cost is neither one of them currently attends church. Now, my son has subsequently, as a small business owner, come to kind of get a little weird about it through some things, but, but that's, a, that's costly, and that's a hill they're going to have to get over, and the Spirit can help them over that, and I, too, can help them in, in deconstructing some of that. It's not the only reason, but again, I should have never, there's things I should have never said in front of them, because they hear. They're like little sponges. They take it all in. And I noticed that some of the things they were saying came from my wicked mouth. And so be careful, parents, on how you raise up your children and teach them. So let's turn back to the text uh, and, and finish out. But the first part is the most, by far the most important, the cultivating of sacred memory. But we also want to help them out of that sacred memory to be able to hope in the faithfulness of God because we're going to mess up. We're going to fail them. We're going to fail each other. We're going to fail you. Uh, and it's important that they be able to have something to hang on to that's stronger. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. Now, there's, a, there's, there's something beautiful being said here that we could miss. What season in the life of God's people is Jacob? And what season is Israel? What season is relationship before law? So it says that he established a testimony in Jacob. That means that he, in his sovereign, divine, electing goodness, went into relationship with one of the worst people in the kingdom. You remember who Jacob was? The deceiver? Not a good dude. He gets it together at some point, but it's still a struggle. And so what we see here is our children need to know first that relationship precedes law, precedes being told what to do. It's to be told who to relate to that loves them. And law is relational as well. It's not just a meaningless set of things to do. It is a meaningful way in which we engage with God and with each other. It's the way in which we love God and love our neighbors is through obedience to law, the law. You may say, well, that mean I can't eat shellfish? No, Acts 10 abrogated that. Eat, drink, and be merry on shellfish and other things. But it's important that we recognize that relationship precedes, that God comes to his people first before he asks them to do anything. And what he asks them to do is basically so that they can better appreciate his love for them. But if we just teach our kids how to be moralists and keep the law out of legalism instead of relationship, we will have set them on the wrong path, a path that leads to destruction if we're not careful. He goes on to say, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. So this is to be a children's children, an ongoing reality. And notice how good God is, that we are part of that flowing history. And we've participated in this in Cartersville through the planting of Riverside Community Church. Jody served as a church planting intern here with Mike. Mike invested in him. And it was planted. We also invested in Chris Fogelsong and the church plant in Jasper, which is both seem to be doing really well at this point. We're investing in a church plant in New Jersey. And so we want to make sure that we're continuing to make sure that there are places to hear the truth, the gospel, in its fullness and in its beauty so God would be glorified. And it says, and it goes on, and they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast whose spirit was not faithful to God. We need to make sure they understand how we have erred. And we own that. And how they might do better than we've done. We're always concerned about making sure our children don't suffer like we do, but we don't always want to make sure, or don't always uh, ensure that they will do better than we've done in the things that matter the most, the gospel. 
And we should be adamant, as the psalmist calls us to, to make sure that they are because of God's faithfulness. It means that their obedience is not in vain. Think of the great ending to that wonderful chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, which says that you will be raised from the dead, you labor not in vain. What a gift, because it sure feels like it around here sometimes, doesn't it? And so, as, as, as a big part of this, uh, one of the things that, that we want to do is kind of bring some things together, right? Uh, we, we've talked about fasting back in the fall through the book of Joel, and we've been looking for an opportunity to call for some form of a congregational fast. And you may say, does that mean food? You can go back and listen to the Sunday school class. It's not just about food. If you have health issues of some kind, it's just a, we are just focusing in. Food is one of the easiest ways to do it, I think. But we're focusing in in the time of prayer. And here's how we're going to do it. It'll be the third week in March. And you're thinking, week? No, not, no. Yeah. yes, week, but not everybody for the whole week. Each day will be assigned to a different shepherding group. So there'll be a deacon and an elder who will help lead that in some way, shape, or form, right? So you'll be, there'll be an email coming out sometime soon. And you may say, well, I don't even know what shepherding group I'm in. Well, you're about to find out. Uh, and if you haven't been in place in a shepherding group, we'll try to make sure that's taken care of before, uh, before those emails go out. Or if for some reason you get left out, just pick a day and fast. Join with the people of God. So here's what we're going to be fasting for. A couple things. The first thing, which is most important, is we're gonna, we want to take a day to fast and cry out to the Lord that he would bear fruit in and through our children's ministry, children and youth, right? That, that there would be those who would come to the Lord's table by profession of faith, that there would be those who would be baptized by profession of faith, that there would be those who would uh, uh, pronounce their love for the Lord our God. And we're not, we don't want to manipulate that. We don't want that to be, we just, we want to ask the Lord for the spirit to move in and through our youth group. One. Two, that he would also bear fruit, uh, eternal fruit, in and through our spheres of influence, whether that's people who come to our church, work, family, friends, whatever. And then the third thing that we'll be praying for uh, is, is a permanent facility, right? It's not wrong of us to ask the Lord to give us a space that we don't have to set up and tear down and that we can use uh, throughout the week. Some of us have been kind of uh, jotting down things that have been harder to do or almost impossible to do without a facility, right? And that's important for us to recognize the value of it because we don't want it to sit vacant six days a week or just serve as a church office. We want it to be a missional outpost that serves and blesses the community. And so if you would join, we, and we don't know what that looks like. So we're not necessarily praying uh, specific for, we're just asking, Lord, would you help us take that next step? You paid off the land, Right, which is amazing, and thank you. But what's next for us? And how do we get there? In a way that glorifies and honors you, and that's critical. Because that's the story we want the next generations to be able to hear from us. So, be looking for an email to that end. As we close out, because I'm over time, and you knew it was going to happen, didn't you? I, try, I was going to try, I just gave up. Uh, Donald Williams says this, Through it all, there is a lesson to be learned. When Israel is faithless, God is faithful. He judges sin, yet his mercy triumphs. Therefore, we must be like those who take God at his word and not be among the unbelieving, rebellious fathers who died in the wilderness. This psalm provides a hermeneutical principle, or that's interpretive principle, for biblical interpretation. There is a moral order to history as God reveals himself in judgment and redemption. This is what we must learn and pass on to our children. So what are some of the ways that you're helping the future generations cultivate a future hope in God's faithfulness? How are you living in such a way that, that is evidences your hope in God? Or are you walking around moping, singing, woe is me, or being cynical, or failing to see where God is at work? Because you're passing that on too, by the way. And that convicts me deeply. And then what are some of the ways that you are revealing to uh, the next generation our key mistakes and areas of unfaithfulness for the life of the coming generations? What are the ways in which we've just messed up or we've turned a blind eye or we haven't cared? For those of you who have any knowledge of, of uh, the PCA, we are wrestling with these issues in a convulsive and at times divisive way.
You need to be praying for us. Jonathan and I will be at General Assembly in Birmingham in June. Uh, and um, we've already had some churches leave the PCA because they're frustrated with some of the responses to things. We fought over racial reconciliation a few years ago, which is just in slight insanity to me in some ways. We're fighting over our response to abused women. We're fighting over how we should love those who have uh, gender dysphoria issues. We're fighting over all of the things that we ought to be instead coming together, fasting, praying, crying out, and asking, Lord, this is the moment in which you have placed us. What can we do to honor and glorify you? But instead, instead, by and large, or loudest, maybe the better way to say it, We've, we've attacked each other online. I'm not online. Jonathan swears they miss me. I don't think that's true. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, so, so, and so you need to be praying for your, us as a denominational institution. Uh, you, you need to be praying that, that we would act like we've got some gospel-infused sense and recognize the moment in front of us that we could be stepping into and offering the gospel in profound and beautiful ways instead of locking the doors tight in fear and, and trembling in the wrong way. So Psalm 78, 1 through 8 teaches us that we are to help the coming generations cultivate their sacred memory of the glorious deeds of the Lord and the future hope in God's faithfulness despite the unfaithfulness of past generations.